expressions ever, ever get you in trouble with anything? I was reading something this week that said that there are about 43 muscles in your face that can be activated to make thousands of different expressions. Now, if there's that many muscles in your face, some of us could win a bodybuilding contest just with our face alone and our facial expressions. Well, the folks at Google and the folks at UC Berkeley, they got together for an intense study analyzing YouTube videos and looking at facial expressions. This intense study has gone on for a while. A few weeks ago, they released the results. And as part of their results, what they have released is 16 of the facial expressions most common to emotional situations worldwide. In other words, the facial expressions that everybody on the planet makes in emotional situations. Okay, So here are the 16. I'm just going to run through them. Amusement, anger, awe, concentration, confusion, contempt, contentment, desire, disappointment, doubt, elation, interest, pain, sadness, surprise, and triumph. Those are the 16 that, that are common to everybody. Now, little fun game for you to do at home this week. I want you to, to go to the website, go to the, the sermons tab, and click on this week's sermon, and then click on the little red box that says notes. And if you click on that, you'll see in the notes these 16 things. Here's what I'm going to do. Once you get those 16 things in one night or maybe over the course of the week at dinner, once you sit around, get everybody in your family to make those faces, all right? Get made the facial expressions that match up with all those words. Now, if nobody's at dinner, if it's just you, go do it in the mirror. I promise, it'll be fun, you know? Uh, and, and we all need something a little fun, right? We need to find the fun in these days. And that's true, right? Because there's, there's not a lot of fun sometimes. There's, there's a lot of difficulty. In fact, if we were to look at those 16 things, and if we're honest with our hearts, the facial expressions that seem to show up the most would be these four. Anger, disappointment, pain, and sadness. That's, that's what would be on our face more often than not in these days. So what do we do when it looks like the gray skies are not going to clear up and we're not going to be able to, to just put on a happy face and just smile? What if the expression of despair seems to be the only expression that we can muster? What do we do in those moments? What do we do in those times? Well, about 3,000 years ago, the psalmist was overwhelmed with despair. He was overwhelmed with discouragement. He was overwhelmed with rejection. His country had become deeply ungodly, and there were deceitful people obsessed with getting their own way. You know, things that we can't make any connections with at all, right? So what did he do? When he found himself in the exact same moments that we find ourselves, what did he do? How did he deal with the despair? How did he deal with the discouragement? How did he deal with the ungodliness? Well, let's see if we can find out. We're looking at Psalm 43, verse 5. And this is what the psalmist writes. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? 
The entire world seems to be in a, a state of fearful despair or angry disturbance. And it's foolish, really, for us to say, oh, it's just it's all in your head. It's not. Fearful despair is real. An angry disturbance is real. There's a, a phrase, terminology out there called deaths of despair. It's, it's used to, to reference death from substance abuse or suicide. As followers of Jesus, how, how do we respond to that type of despair, the reality of that despair? The reality that a report out this week says that deaths of despair have increased over the past year. How do we respond? Well, this is just one sermon, not just one guy. So there's no way for us to meet all the needs of that question here. But, but let's just consider a few things. And the first is a truth from the Bible. About 2,600 years ago, there was a man full of despair. We don't know for absolute certain, but we're fairly confident that man was the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he said. Lamentations 3.1 I am the man who has seen misery. Misery. This, this was a prophet of God. This was a pastor. This was a, a preacher. And misery is his story. And for the next 16 verses, he details what that misery is like. And then he says this. My soul has been excluded from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has failed and so has my hope from the Lord. This would be like your favorite TV preacher sending you a text or an email or a letter saying, I no longer hope in the Lord. My, my hope in the Lord has just failed. That's, that's misery. That's true. I saw something this week from a pastor who has had multiple deaths of despair in his church over the years. And, and he makes a few comments that I think are, are very, very important and very helpful. And they're pretty simple, so I'm just going to kind of leave them as they are. First, when it comes to deaths of despair, he, he says it's a horrible choice. It's a horrible choice. But then he, he tries to take that horrible choice and he tries to take the, the hopelessness of the victim and he tries to, to bring a little bit of the hope of the gospel in the middle of it. And this is the comment he makes. Between those two, I am waving a flag of hope that true faith can have a season that then he counters that. He, he balances it. And he begins to say, but, but there is another way. There, there's another way. This is what he says. I promise you, in the name of Jesus Christ, there is a better way. You don't feel that, perhaps, right now, but your feelings are not true. They are deceiving you. It is true that God has another way for you. He always makes another 
way. He does. It can get that dark. And he does make another way. So with just those few thoughts, here's what we do as believers. First, don't be a mean, arrogant Christian that tells people to buck up when they're in their darkness. And don't be a mean, apathetic Christian that just says nothing in the darkness instead of saying, God has another way. Rather, be a Christian that speaks the truth in love. Be a Christian that does everything you can to avoid unnecessary, rude, unwholesome comments. Be a Christian that does everything you can to avoid unnecessary, rude, unwholesome silence. Be a Christian that looks for ways to help the prophet, looks for ways to help the psalmist, looks for ways to help the pastor, preacher, the parent, the spouse, the child, looks for ways to help the stranger find some light for their darkness. That's the good news of great joy that's supposed to be living in us. And be a Christian that does what the psalmist does. He talks to himself. Yeah, he does. I know some of y'all do that when you're in the car and Everybody beside you is looking at you weird, but, but he talks to himself. He talks to himself. He, he asks himself questions. He, he challenges himself. That's what he's doing, right? Listen again. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? I mean, can't you see? He's, he's in the bathroom. It's the morning. He just finished brushing his teeth. He's looking in the mirror. And he's like, what's, what's wrong with you? Why are you so down? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so stressed? Why are you so angry? Why are you so frustrated? Why are you so overwhelmed with despair? What's what's going on? He's talking to himself. He's challenging himself. In your moment of despair, talk to yourself. Do it. Challenge yourself. Ask yourself questions. There's a moment in J.R.R. Tolkien's the return of the king. When the character known as Sam is discouraged, he's full of despair. He's, he's on this quest to literally save the world, but it hasn't been going very well. Things have been hard. Things have been difficult. And now he's in this moment where the doom of everything that's going to happen is hanging over him very thick. Everything feels impossible. And then undoubtedly, Sam pulls a psalmist. Undoubtedly, he starts talking to himself. He starts asking himself questions. He starts challenging himself. And the the reason we know that is because of what Tolkien writes next about Sam. This is what he says. To his surprise, he seemed tired but lighter, and his head seemed clear again. No more debates disturbed his mind. He knew all the arguments of despair and would not listen to them. His will was set and only 
death would break it. That's so good. He knew all the arguments of despair. He knew them. He heard them. He had seen them. People told them to him. People from Facebook and Parler and every other social media thing in the world said, here's what's going to happen. Here's the doom. Be ready for the doom. Be ready for the doom. Be ready for the doom. And he said, I will not listen to them. I will not. You know why I started our daily little devotional podcast? Because right now in the world, we are deeply surrounded with the arguments. We are. We're deeply surrounded with the arguments of despair, the arguments of depression, the arguments of discouragement, the arguments of conspiracy, the arguments of arrogance, the argument of fear, the argument of pride, the argument of self-idolatry. We are surrounded by arguments. And I just, in my limited little realm in all of the universe, just wanted to give a few moments of quirky gospel truth just to help our hearts remember that what we believe is true, that God's resume is flawless. And you know why I did that? Because of all the people that seem to be overwhelmed with the arguments of despair. You know who seems to be at the top of the list? We are. We are. It's the professing Christians that seem to be saying, for some reason, God's resume is no longer flawless. Because it's 2020, and it's 2021, and this is going on, so everything's going to hell in a handbasket, so God is not real. So we have an option. We can listen to the arguments of despair, or we can not. People just like the psalmist, us. People who claim to know the one true living God, overwhelmed with the arguments, overwhelmed with the arguments. You know why? Because we're not being like the psalmist. We're not talking to ourselves. We're not preaching to ourselves. We're letting other people preach to us. And we're taking every sermon from every person, from every walk of life as truth. And we're not listening to the resume of God. We are listening to despair more than we're listening to our divine creator. We're listening to conspiracy more than we're listening to Christ. We're listening to grumbling more than we're listening to the gospel. Now that doesn't mean we should be foolish, out-of-touch citizens. By no means. No, I feel like we should be wise, fully informed citizens. Fully informed that it has been appointed for every person to die once and then face judgment. Fully informed that that judgment will be before the one same true God for everyone, the God who is holy, 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 the God who was and is and is to come, the God who is the only true God. Fully informed that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us so that we could be saved from the wrath of God. Fully informed that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us 
so that we can have life and life that is abundant and life that is free. Fully informed if we choose to believe it that no power of hell and no scheme of man and no pandemic and no shutdown and nothing else anywhere in the universe can ever pluck us and separate us from God's hand. And then, as fully informed people, we go live. We go to work. We go to school. We go buy stuff. We go sell stuff. We go to the doctor. We go to the post office. We eat cheesecake. We eat bacon. We wear a mask. We social distance. And we do all of it for the glory of God. Because that's why we exist as believers, for the glory of God. Fully informed that we don't exist without the glory and grace of God. So we live for His glory. We live for His grace. And why should we live like that? What's the, what's the old hymn says? We live like that, or at least we should live like that, because it is well, it is well with our souls. So, how's your soul? How's your soul? Samwise has something for us. He knew all the arguments of despair and would not listen Here's the thing, though. It's not enough just to not listen. We, we have to do something else. We have to engage in something. So what do we engage in? Psalmist tells us, verse 5, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. The help of my facial expressions and my God. That's the only true resolution we need, right? Hope in God. Again, the psalmist is talking to himself. He's, he's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. So, so think through this. Who's the most influential person in your life? They, they could still be living. They could be already with the Lord. Who, who's the most influential person in your life? You got, got their face in your head? Got their name in your head now? Okay. Here's the thing. You're wrong. You're wrong. Unless you said yourself. You are the most influential person in your life. Nobody talks to you more than you. Nobody. So what are you saying to yourself? What are you preaching to yourself? What are you saying to your soul? Listen, here's the reality. People will lie to you. Okay. Liberal politicians, they'll lie to you. Conservative Christians, they'll lie to you. And sometimes they won't even know that they're lying to you, right? Because most of the time people aren't setting out to lie. See, some of the best people in the world will say things like this. Hey, everything's going to be okay. 
hey, don't, don't worry about it. Everything's going to change for the better. Hey, you know what? You're not going to get more than you can handle. But, but what if that doesn't happen? I mean, what if things aren't all right? What if they don't feel like they're turning out for the better? What if you do feel like that you have a lot more than you can handle? People don't mean to tell lies like that. They're really just trying to help. They're really just wanting to encourage us along. But the reality is, nobody in your life except God is God. Therefore, no one can perfectly always tell you the truth. They don't have that ability. So here's one simple truth that God wanted you to know, made sure it was written down for your heart and my heart. And he sent that truth, guess who through? Through a miserable preacher. (laughs) Miserable. This is what Jeremiah went on to say after all of his misery manifesto. Lamentations 3. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the moment of his life where he had 10,000 reasons to feel like God had abandoned him, 10,000 reasons to have absolutely no hope in God, Jeremiah, like the psalmist, said, you know what, I, I need to preach to myself. I need to talk to myself. And he says, self, God is faithful. He's faithful. God was faithful in every war. God was faithful in every pandemic. God was faithful in every moment where everything was falling apart. God was faithful. His resume has always been flawless. Listen, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your pastors, your your politicians, your doctors, look, they're, they're all doing the best they can, you know? Again, just a gracious shout out for doctors and nurses. They aren't gods. They aren't. They don't have every single answer that we always want at any given moment. I I spent a couple hours with my doctor this week. I love him. He's great. I I know he's doing the best he can to help me, but they didn't have every single answer in the world. See, the people in our lives that we seem to demand so much from they're, they're doing the best they can. Because you know what? They're just like you. You're doing the best you can. Or, I mean, I'll cut us some slack. Maybe the best average we can. You know, we're just doing some. But the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he's not just doing best average. He's perfectly faithful. He cannot fail. He will not how do we know that? I'm just going to give you one reason. Just one reason from the Bible, okay? Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the trailer had been running for the Messiah. People had been hearing all about the Messiah. 
And for hundreds of years, hundreds of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah have been proclaimed over and over again. And at just the right moment in history, after for hundreds of years, it seemed like God had abandoned the world, left the world in the dark. At just the right moment, when it seemed like God had turned the reins of the world over to political leaders and military leaders and religious leaders, at just that moment, God sent the light of compassion into the world that cannot fail, that will not fail. At just the right moment, Jesus was born. And not just born. At just the right moment, Jesus was arrested. At just the right moment, Jesus was crucified. At just the right moment, Jesus was resurrected. And at just the right moment, Jesus will return. These are the promises of God. This is his resume, and it has been flawless. And so I ask, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Everything else has perfectly come true. Everything else God has been perfectly faithful in. We have every reason to believe he'll be perfectly faithful in this. One day, Jesus was being confronted by a politician. And this is what Jesus said to the politician. John chapter 18. My kingdom is not of this world. That's what he says. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting right now so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is is not of this realm. The only kingdom that is forever, the only country, nation, kingdom that is forever is the kingdom of Jesus. There is no other kingdom that is forever. And so the question for your soul, 24 hours a day, are you ready for the kingdom of Jesus? Are you ready for his kingdom? If you are, then you can live in any kingdom on this earth and have hope in God. You can. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what he's done. Because of what he's accomplished. Because of what he continues to promise. His kingdom is forever. So, are you hoping in God? Are you hoping in his kingdom? Are you hoping in God? The psalmist is full of despair. He's he's full of it. He's he's full of discouragement. He's confused. He's frustrated. I'm guessing he's probably a little angry. Hey, why is all this playing out this way? Why all this ungodliness in my nation? Why all these deceitful people in my country? That's, That's what he said throughout the psalm. So what does he do? He talks to his soul talks to himself. He says, soul, why are you down? Soul, why are you disturbed? Soul, I I know this is tough. Soul, I know this is hard. I know some nights we can't sleep. Some nights we cry ourselves to sleep. Some nights we we gnash our teeth to sleep. Sometimes we don't want to eat. Sometimes we don't want to do anything. Sometimes we're angry. 
and sometimes we're in despair. I, I got it. But so why are we in so much despair? And then, then he kind of interrupts his own conversation he's having with himself. He says, but so, so we have God. So God has, has saved us. The God, the one true God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the beginning and the end, the, the same God who is known as the great I am, the same God who loves us with an everlasting love, soul, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. He doesn't stop talking to himself. He gets in a little deeper. Is your soul troubled today? Is your soul angry today? Is your soul over it today? Where's your soul today? Someone once said that troubled souls become hopeful souls when you start singing truth to your soul. So, what's on your playlist for your soul? What are you singing to your soul these days? What are, you, what are you saying to your soul? What are you preaching to your soul? And, and I might add a little side note. What are you preaching to the souls of your family? What are you preaching to the souls of your kids and your grandkids, of your parents, of your aunts and uncles? What are you what are you singing to the souls of people you work with or people you go to school with or people you go to church with? What are we singing to our souls? Here's the thing. Right now, every single one of us have the ability to shut God out. We can do it. We, we can shut him out. We can sing different songs. We can rally around our politics. We can escape into Netflix. Or we can just dive into our despair, just head first, and just either completely or casually ignore God. We can do it. We can block him out and block out his truth. I heard somebody put it this way. The sun, the diameter of the sun is about 865,000 miles. That's, that's a big bottle of light. But you know what? You can block the sun out. You can Right? I mean, we do it sometimes, right? You know? Well, you do. Just, you know, just kind of hold your hand up, hold the fist up, just kind of block the sun, you know? And that's, what you, that's what you're doing when you're riding down the road sometimes, right? It's like the sun's in a weird place and you're like, we, we can block the sun out. And you know what? We can do the same thing with God. We can just, just block him out. And we just kind of hold our hand up and just, just block out his truth. Just, just not listen to it, not read it, not think about it. We can just block it out. And, and that's what's happening with Psalmist. He is so overwhelmed with despair. He's so overwhelmed with his discouragement. He's so overwhelmed with his ungodly nation. He's so overwhelmed with the deceitful people that he's just blocking God out. And he loves it. He's doing it on purpose. But then he catches himself. And you know what he's doing? He's just taking his hand down. That's, that's what he's doing over and over again. He's taking his hand down. You know why? Because he'll put his hand back up. He'll give him another hour, an hour after church, when, when he's in the restaurant, when he's heard a great sermon about the greatness of God, 
and some scallywag at the table next starts talking about how awful everything is, he'll put his hand back up. You know, he'll block God out again. But then he'll take it down because he'll keep preaching to his soul. Get your hand down, man. Get your hand down. Keep facing the truth of God. Keep facing the exceeding joy that you have in God so that you can hope in God. And you know what happens? He says something changes as he begins to hope in God. He says his countenance changes. His facial expressions change. That, that's what's happening. Why? Why are his expressions changing? Why is his countenance changing? It's changing because he's hearing all the arguments of despair in his own heart, in his own mind. But he has decided, I will not listen to them. Look, this psalm is not just about putting on a smile and, you know, put on a happy face. You know, that's not what it's about. This psalm actually is geared to help the facial expressions of your soul change. How? How in the world can the facial expressions of your soul change. Very simply in the same way that they did for the psalmist. Because the truth of God changes them. His resume changes the countenance. And for us, we would simply say this, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the promised return of Jesus, everything about Jesus constantly reminds us that God's compassion and his mercy and his authority and his power and his love and his grace and any other wonderful thing that you can possibly put in that sentence is brand new every morning because he is faithful. He is faithful. His resume is flawless. He is faithful. He is faithful. So, 